Welcome back to the Esports Forever podcast. My name is Ryan Hebert alongside Jacob Schrader. Today we are bringing you the latest in esports, NFT, and crypto news. Getting started off today, we talk about League of Legends, preseason 2023, and an item that has been dominating the Summoner's Rift, the main form game of League of Legends, for those of you who do not know. It is named Heartsteel. And it is such an amazing tank item for the top lane. And the reason being, this item puts the pressure on champions that like to stack a lot of health, regeneration of said health, and just champion size in general. Now, they released five new mythic weapons in this latest update for the preseason of 2023. And what does that mean, a preseason? Well, it means that League of Legends is going to be putting forth a new ranked season of League for the competitive player base next year, following a period of a trial, so to speak, which is preseason. And so right mm -hmm. now, us players, we are guinea pigs for this new season. And right now, this item called Heartsteel has just been dominating the charts, dominating the charts. And you know what? It, it it has a reason to do so. It's an expensive item, 3,200 gold. And in game, that's a lot of gold to just, you know, get willy nilly. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, this item requires to be stacked up, meaning that over time, you build more and more health. And as you progress in the game, it just gets better and better. By the end of the game, you are an unstoppable killing machine as long as you have been able to not feed to the oppo opposing team, which I guess is, is always the goal. Always the goal. But they, uh, they have not missed with this mythic item. And the question remains, once the preseason for 2023 is over, will they edit this item so it's a little bit more balanced with some of the other ones? Uh, you know, yeah. I I don't know the answer to that right away. I think the other items are 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 so so. Uh, there's one called Jack Show the Protein. Um, it, it has a one time proc that gives you some damage resistances and um, sucks up the health from opponents around you. Now I thought this was going to be an item that continuously continuously in combat would suck up, I think it's like 3% max health damage from opponents around you, but I, I found out that it was only a one-time proc while in combat for that for that time. Um, it's the, the damage resistances are nice, but on top of that, there's not much else that it's promising. Uh, Rod of Ages, which is an item that has returned. I was really excited to see this item return, Jacob, because it was such a great item before they instituted this idea of mythic weapons into League of Legends. For those of you who don't know, before the past couple of seasons, they used to, you know, just have items be willy-nilly. They had legendary items. There wasn't a lock on which items you could buy, so you could buy multiple of the same item if you had enough gold, theoretically. They now cap you at using specific items, depending on how powerful they are, by labeling them as mythic weapons. And you're only allowed to have one mythic weapon per champion, and then you're allowed to buy all the other legendary items you want. But at the end of the day... You know, the mythic weapons are obviously the better ones that you would want to stack up if you could, but you can't anymore. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're stuck having to strategize around these singular mythic weapons. Well, I'll tell you what, no mythic weapon is made equally, I, in my opinion. Like, Heartsteel is definitely way farther up there than some of the other items. And so once a champion gets taken away with Heartsteel, like, you can't catch up with these other items. That's, that's the problem. They heal yeah. so much... 
and they gain maximum health every 30 seconds in combat when they hit you. So yeah, I, I guess, yeah, it's hard. Sorry. Uh, all, all I'm wondering, you know, I don't know too much about league of legends, but I do know about mythic items because, because it's the same in TFT. You get yeah. one of them, but you know, I'm reading here that the mythic passive grants you 6% champion size. Is that oh, a yeah. buff or a debuff? That's a buff. Yeah, you get so bigger. So what does champion size do for you? Champion size, um, you know, I, I don't exactly know besides the fact that if I had to guess, it might be increased tenacity. Um, okay. But, it, you know, like, for example, Cho'Gath is, a, is an excellent champion to look at. Cho'Gath's uh, ultimate allows it to eat uh, creatures on the rift or champions. And over time, as you stack those chomps, Cho'Gath gets bigger and bigger. Yep. So giving this item to Cho'Gath will not only just make him bigger with his ultimates, but will make him bigger in health and then literally in champion size as well. Yeah, it's probably good on Nunu too. Does Nunu have the ability where if he has more health than the person he bites, he does true damage? Is that true in League of Legends as Something well? Something like that. You know, there are a lot of champions that love to get this, all of this increased health. In fact, one of the nastiest ones has to be Dr. Mundo. Mundo is a yeah. beast on the rift with this item. And, uh, you know, I'm afraid to go against Mundo once once they start building this item. Because if you thought Mundo was unkillable before, after level 6, it, it just gets that much harder. Like, it, Yeah, there, you, have, there, there have been it. unkillable Mundos in TFT, too. That's definitely been a meta before. Yeah, so if there's one reason why this item gets nerfed, it's because the Mundo is just too unstoppable. But I'll tell you what. Shen is uh, a big fan of this item as well, and he's he, he's seen an uptick in win rate for top and mid lane. He's rocking a 52-53% win rate for both of these lanes, plat and above, which is really, really cool to see. I, I love to see. I'm a Shen fan. I'm a Shen main as well. As oh, nice. I'm a Cho main too, but uh, I love Shen. It's a great champion, so mm -hmm. it's great to see, see him taking advantage of this. Big yeah, time. I got to say, from TFT, I've learned quite a few of the, these characters' abilities. You know, when, when they're included in TFT sets, they only have one ability, but it changes every once in a while. So I know Shen, you know, when he when he one of his his buttons basically grants him immunity from direct damage attacks. Oh, yeah. right? Anything mm -hmm. magic damage, he can still take damage from. But if someone has a Zaya carry, you know, you, you're doing a really good job of blocking her if you if you position correctly. So exactly. it's interesting, you know, understanding League of Legends more just through TFT because, you know, I love TFT. Yep, 100%, man, 100%. You you couldn't have said it better. Well, moving on from League of Legends, let's talk about the very popular Mobile Legends. So this next article from PocketGamer.biz talks about the latest in mobile gaming, streaming, and esports. Now, as some of you might guess, well, Ryan, the United States is not the place for mobile gaming, and I would have to agree with you on that. Yes, mobile gaming is a thing in the U.S., but with the mainstreamness of consoles and, and PCs and the ability to get access to these parts quite easily in the United States... It's no surprise that other countries such as China, India, and, and, and some of the others in uh, out east are, are more so bigger fans of mobile gaming. They just, everyone has phones. It's a lot easier than, than trying to find a console, to try to buy a console. Um, at the end of the day, mobile gaming is where it's at, out, out there. And if you look at these graphs, Jacob, 
Mm-hmm. I was very surprised to see how big Facebook and YouTube have grown when it comes to mobile gaming streaming. I mean, yeah. the statistics here, there's a there's a wonderful little pie chart. Twitch only takes up 16% of the mobile gaming streaming when it coming when coming from China and some of the other places uh, out east. And it's it's just really shocking to see the viewership. I mean the the, the United States I think is like 124,000 uh, views or something like that in in you know in this past month and then you look at you look at China's like 2.9 million. If not yeah, more. I'm like oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean Southeast Asia is 20 million. Oh, North yeah. America is 125,000. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. That is like, geez, that's like 200 fold. And yeah. I'm probably doing that math wrong, but it's a lot. It's, you know, I'll it's say dwarfed. one thing. Yeah. And it's that, you know, the, the mobile games are popular in these regions, not because phones are more accessible, but just because these consoles and PCs are kind of too expensive. Right. Um, I think that's, that's going to last a while. Um, but it is interesting that that Facebook and YouTube, and it looks like YouTube has almost 50% of, of the total viewership from mobile games. You know, we probably have talked down on YouTube gaming just because we're in the US and we focus on console and, and PC games, but they had a strategy. And, and you know, I, I probably at one point, Twitch was much more prominent here and YouTube, you know, probably pushed these regions harder. I know Facebook, that's their whole focus. So it's interesting. I think these these streaming wars, you know, everyone has said they're dominated by Twitch, but I don't really think that's the fact the, 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 the fact anymore. Uh, yeah, I agree with you, especially when it comes to the international market. Facebook and YouTube have such a grip over over these other countries as opposed to, well, Amazon, right? Amazon, I don't think, has the, the biggest grip over these other countries as, you know, you know, I always hear people talking about it. Alibaba is like the biggest like Amazon uh, out out east. And it's like, OK, yeah. cool. You know, well, yeah. Alibaba and Amazon are two different companies and. You you better you better uh, you better think twice before Alibaba is going to be like yeah Amazon's going to undercut our prices that people go to Alibaba to then sell stuff on on Amazon okay like mm-hmm. you know it's it's just not going to happen and so when it comes to to Twitch being outside of the U S Europe South America maybe maybe the Middle East maybe uh, Russia Japan but uh, I, I don't know you just don't see, and maybe Korea. But you just don't see, you just don't see the viewership of uh, of what's being presented here, especially in mobile gaming. Now, I wanted to make note of the fact that Arena of Valor, which is a game that's been really pushed heavily in the past year, had like a forty five percent drop in viewership. Uh, yeah, I see. Which is is actually kind of crazy. Um, and then you know this game called Mobile Legends, uh, which is it's just funny to see taking the the first spot. So it's 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 yeah. cool. It's really cool I mean, to see. Yeah. League of Legends Wild Rift is is ninth. Ninth. Is, it fell is that game not performing? Well, you know, I I don't know what Mobile Legends is, but I have to assume that the text is so similar that uh oh yeah, you know, there are other MOBAs out there, uh, and um, you know, while League is popular in the United States, people are mm-hmm. always making new, you know, new developers are are making newer and maybe even better MOBAs. It's just that Riot is such a large IP; it just has such a dominant spot over the market that like. You know, for example, like you're a big fan of uh, what Pathfinders or uh, Paladins. Paladins, thank you. Pathfinders. What am I saying? That's a D and D ripoff. Um, 
yeah, you know, Paladins, it's like, well, Paladins could be bigger, except the Ride IP takes up all of the esports space and airtime um, that, you know, League of Legends is all you hear about. But Paladins mm. is probably just as good, if not better, in some cases. It's just that Riot, you know, Riot's just Riot, period. That, yeah. That's all it is. Like this, they got in, they've been in, and, you know, no one's knocked them down. So. At the end of the day, just wanted to bring this up. The mobile gaming is still dominant as ever. It has not gone away. It's not going away. It's just not a mainstream talked about thing in the in the United States. Um, you know, when I think about mobile gaming here, I think about like people playing Pokemon Go or Clash of Clans. Pokemon Go or Clash of Clans. Wow, I tripped up on my words there. Um, but yeah, it's it is what it is. It is what it is. Okay, up next, we talked about this last week, and I just wanted to bring it back. Uh, this opinion article on the IOC and the gaming community being on edge as the IOC announces its first ever Olympic esports week. We talked about this last week, so all I'll say is this: they agree with us. This this article is like, you know, on the one hand, it's like, oh yeah, so exciting for esports to be in it, and they, you know, you start thinking, oh, you're gonna see these mainstream esports titles, and then you then you question. How much would the IOC actually pay these large companies to be able to use their mainstream titles in at the international level? Because that, that's what com private companies are going to be all about. You know, it's going to be like, well, you know, the private company is going to be sponsoring the IOC to get their name out there. Well, the IOC is like a it's like a world recognized thing. Like, why would you have private companies from the United States or or from some other places sponsoring this event? That would be weird. Right. Can you imagine Coke sponsoring the Olympics? And maybe maybe it has. But like that's a beverage. But how about a private games company? Right. How much would they profit off of worldwide viewership of, of League of Legends uh, on the international stage? Right. They already do. But this is like this is this is bigger. This is the Olympics. So, you know, uh, this uh, this opinion uh, article talk about how, you know, the, the IOC is proposing esports, but they're not esports. They're. They're, yeah. I'm going to call them iSports. They're internet simulator sports. And so they're just simulated realities of sports that are already played in real life done online. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I, you know, I yeah. wonder how simulatory they're going to be. Are they going to be clicking buttons on a controller for baseball? Or are they going to be swinging a pseudo bat, right? Pseudo bat games where you swing and where you pitch, those exist. They do. Right. And they it's do. weird. You know, we, we're not hearing any names about the games that are going to be played. We don't know, you know, is the Olympic virtual series building their own games for this? You know, who knows? It would be really surprising if they were. But are they going to play MLB the show? I mean, that sounds <laughs> unlikely as well. Probably um, not. Probably not. I mean, not enough time to run through that manager mode. I'll tell you that. Not enough time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's funny. I. I think they're just, you know, using simulated experiences for for some sports. But, I mean, in all honesty, it just sounds like something that you could run for the Special Olympics for people who couldn't physically yeah. be able to do those real sports in real life. But I think, it's I a mean, great idea. I think it, would, it would give them the opportunity to participate in a way that um, would be as inclusive as as them attempting to maybe do some of these sports. Although, you know, power to all special Olympians out there that want to go and do stuff. I mean, they do some incredible things. So don't don't want to take away from that. But, I mean, literally, if you're confined to a chair and all you can do is move your fingers to, to speak, I mean, heck, who knows? Like, if, you know, these simulated sports could be for you. So you never know. 
You never know. Okay, moving on to some interesting combina combinations of sports betting and esports. I think this is pretty cool. Bet Builder is empowering esports bettors to tell their own stories. So, you know, Jacob and myself looked over this, and I'll have Jacob give his take. But, you know, Jacob, what you kind of told me was that these folks are having people kind of give a storyline, a background as to why they want to make a specific kind of bet. Make said bet. And then, you know, they, uh, sorry, I'm getting distracted here. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I can, I can take over because you actually told me about this before the, uh, the episode. It's interesting. It's like, a you know, it, it, they're trying to combine storytelling with betting, which based on some research in the betting space is not a, a crazy synergistic thing, but esports may change that. And I think they're, they're involving some peer to peer features in their betting, but I think it's mainly a timeline style betting app where if you make a pick, you can write a little story or almost a tweet about why you think that pick will be made. And maybe there's some sort of feature where people can hop on your bet based on the storyline you tell. And if you do so, you may be rewarded in some way. You know, it's interesting. It's a, it's a social approach to betting as you know, with a focus on esports. and, you know, maybe there's a space for it. Maybe esports betters are more inclined to talk about it. Um, cause sports betters sometimes aren't, you know, they're, they're pretty private with it, Yeah, but it's an interesting product. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. Well, you know, it's really interesting. This next article follows this really, really well about the privacy of sports betting and just the overall openness that, that sports fans have in general. So this Yahoo news article talks about, it's very opinionated. It says, forget streaming live audiences still matter for esports. So the article basically digs into the fact that, you know, after COVID, there have been more and more live events. And so because of that, people have been coming back to venues to watch and witness these live events of, of players playing games. And so, you know, the importance of communal settings with sports fans and esports fans alike. Now, we know sports fans are crazy for this stuff, but more so for esports this is big. Being able to gather together to rally behind a team of some sort for some reason, that sort of stuff. It's it's big. It's big. And so because of that, uh, this article, all it's saying is like, you know, streaming is not the only way to rally people together. In fact, it's it's a pretty it's a, it's a nice way to kind of cut fans off from each other, because the only way you're really able to communicate is through is through text chat. You know, that that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. You're watching the streamer and, and that's that's really all there is. But in a live yeah. audience with other fans around you cheering and, and rooting, I mean, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I was playing on the International North American uh, Pokemon stage this past July. Okay. I went up on stage for a stream against a really, really talented player. And to this day, I still have people who are telling me about this match. And they're like, dude, that was a great match. I loved your team. But what mattered more was the fact that I would look out to the audience and they had a they had a, a you know a selection of chairs set up so that people who were done with matches in that round could come and sit. Man, I had so many friends coming over to watch and cheer me on against my opponent. It was magical. And I can only imagine what a stadium full of 500 or even thousands of people feels like for esports enthusiasts or for even esports athletes that are going at it in a really, really big tournament. So, yes, I completely agree. Streaming should not be forgotten. However, live audiences still do matter for esports. 
and just like they do for regular sports. But the thing yeah. is, is that you know esports aren't going away, right? All these major league sports right now, major league baseball is probably number one when it comes to losing their freaking fan base. I mean, these we've seen these major sports organizations trying every little thing they can to make sure that the newest generation of kids are still as addicted to these sports as their parents and their grandparents before them. I think esports has the best of both worlds here with streaming and in person because I've been to some in person esports events and they're unbelievably exciting yeah i went to the call of duty championships no not the championships but a, a call of duty event in los angeles maybe a year and a half ago and it was it was awesome it was exciting i bought a scuff controller that i probably should not have bought because i have <laughs> not gotten 225 dollars worth of value out of it sure but it was fun it was fun to be there it was fun to see kids my age who you know like the same stuff as me i don't know how much my girlfriend loved it but i actually think she thought it was like an okay thing to do for for two hours on a a weekday for sure you know they're exciting but then you have the whole streaming side of it where you know esports it's so much more personable through a stream than sports are for practices for pro athletes right I agree. sports I agree. has a, a huge medium for athletes to connect i mean these aren't you know athletes but they're they're all you know they're content creators and and some of them are strictly esports professionals but those who are streaming are more focused on you know, building their brand and, and producing content of quality. So, you it's know, true. esports is really powerful on the fact that it has such a strong medium through the internet. I completely agree. I completely agree. No, no knocking to the streaming. In fact, in my mind, it only increases accessibility, period. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's really what it is. Okay, up next, poor Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber paid $1.3 million for a board ape. but was five times above floor price at the time. It is now worth $69,000 at the time of this article. Nice. Yeah. Justin Bieber. I think, I think we're going to get into this later, but the FTX crash, it's going to set the crypto industry back like a year and a half. If not uh, more. If oh, not it's crazy. more. Like, it is crazy. Like like you said, we're, we're going to be talking about this. Uh, the next, our articles to finish off today literally are in my mind repercussions of FTX and the entire industry being shook as a whole because mm -hmm. this is just it's 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 I'll tell you guys right now when looking up news for today's podcast crypto and nft news is completely completely more so crypto but completely dominated by the failure of FTX and uh the repercussions of said of said failure. And so, you know, to start off, Justin Bieber, I think he is a celebrity tied up in the FTX investigation as well. But separate from that, his board ape that, you know, that he bought for this much money, you know, now being worth that much. I'll tell you what, though, it may have dropped in a lot of value, like a lot of value, but you still are a part of, of board ape and board ape is definitely not going away anytime soon. Yuga Labs is is definitely not just going to drop the ball on the company that they've built up with all of these different communities. At the end of the day, they've got celebrities galore and, and folks galore buying into what, what all these things are about. So yes, has it lost worth? For now. For now it has. Um, but you know, uh, maybe maybe it comes back, you know? That's just that's just the, the thing about buying and selling, especially if it's volatile. You know, NFTs yeah. are extremely volatile, so it's it's like 
you know, just because he paid $1.3 million doesn't mean that it was actually worth that much. It's just that's what he paid to be a part of the a part of the club, period. Yeah, and uh, I don't think – I hope Justin Bieber's not selling. You know, that's all I can really say is just hold it. It'll go back up. It's not going to go back to 1.3, maybe in 100 years, but uh, it's unfortunate. You know, I think this was part of the whole MoonPay fiasco where they were, you know, marketing and probably paying for some of the costs. But uh, yeah, it is what it is. You know what isn't what it is? GTA, Grand Theft Auto, baby. Um, okay, so are you familiar with the GTA role-playing servers? These oh, yeah. These are crazy. So there are people who are devoted to playing, like, role-playing as real-life people and cops in GTA in, like, specific role-playing servers. So. Yeah. It's actually crazy what people do in these. And it's so crazy, in fact, that Rockstar had to get involved and basically came forward to say, look, we know that crypto trading, NFT trading, this sort of stuff goes down as a type of commerce and economic activity over these role-playing servers. We will have none of it. We are wow. taking a stance of no NFTs, no crypto. We don't want it to happen. We know it is. We're not dumb, but just don't do it, okay? And if you get caught, there's going to be consequences. There are going to be penalties. Um, and so, you know, they've banned anything having to do with crypto or NFTs from from their servers. They don't want it, but they know that players, as a, as a way of commerce, uh, were using crypto as, as one of those ways to basically pay people off, in a sense, if you wanted to get something in-game. Because, like, think yeah. of it like this. Why the heck do I need more fake money in, in GTA when I could pay someone in crypto and actually get something of value, right? Like, that's that's that, that's what they want, you know? If you've got a loot box or something like that, you're not trying to get in-game currency. You're trying to get real cash for that sort of stuff. That's what you're trying to do. And that's what they don't like. They're like, do not use an external currency for our game. Our game... <laughs> is not built to be, you know, to, to be doing that. That's not what they want. You know, it's not CSGO being public about the fact that they are, there are skin markets out there. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. That's that's not what they want whatsoever. And so good, yeah, good on GTA. It makes sense that they're, it makes sense they're banning it, especially after FTX. But I will just, say this. Yeah. This was huge like two years ago. GTA was all of a sudden the most popular game on Twitch because – you know, Shroud would go into a, a server. I don't know if it was Shroud doing it, but a lot of people would go into servers and just basically role play. And it's crazy how serious people took it, how the cops were cops, how he oh, had yeah. to get patted down before he entered a, a palace. It's cool. I, I like it. It's, it's I actually think it's hilarious. I, I, and I love that this announcement comes out of the role, you know, from so many role playing servers having this, having this sort of stuff. That's, that's what's funny to me. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's the fact that it's like, yo, role players, stop actually getting too real. Okay. Yeah. Stop getting too real. Up next, Visa jumping on an NFT marketplace for the World Cup. Now, more specifically, these aren't just any NFTs. They are launching a specific set of NFTs where 100% of the sales from these NFTs are going to a specific charity tied in with the World Cup. And then the article is just like, ah, oh, Visa, very friendly with NFTs and the NFT community has always been promoting of crypto and NFTs. And it's like, 
Yeah, this is funny because MasterCard just recently went back on their promises of crypto and NFTs. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, we'll see how long this this lasts for, for Visa to, to be so friendly towards the NFT and maybe even crypto market. It's just that the World Cup is one of the most watched events in in the world. And so to to take this stance at such a big event is huge. And, you know, it isn't just Visa. Some of the largest stars in the world, like uh, Ronaldo, for example, I think he, he's partnered with Binance and, like, he had a cringy ad that was recently released. Oh, yeah. And I don't, I don't get how they allowed him to say to the moon after this whole FTX collapse. It, it just was horrible. I know. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cringy. And so, you know, it, it's just like... I don't know. It's uh, it's an interesting pr- a way of promoting yourself for, for the World Cup. I don't know if if this is the way, but pardon me. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll I didn't see. like it. Okay, U.S. lawmakers are urging Fidelity Bank to drop Bitcoin as a four hundred one k tax you know option for people to put their money into. This is pretty big. Mm-hmm. lawmakers love to go and do you know lawmakers love to go and tell people what to do pretty often but lawmakers don't love to go and tell banks what to do all the time because that's that gets tricky okay mm-hmm. you know anything involving banks and and the u.s government usually has to do with some form of money well you know fidelity bank for a little while now has told people that they're allowed to have their 401k in bitcoin and you know Lawmakers are like, look, Bitcoin is volatile. It's not safe. It's not a stable currency. Um, and you know, there was actually a, a funny word that was used in this that I I wanna I wanna bring up and and say here. Um, let's see here. Uh, yep. So first of all, they blame FTX. First of all, yeah, yeah. The industry is full of charismatic wonderkinds, oppor- opportunistic fraudsters, and self-proclaimed. Uh, investment advisors promoting financial products with little to no transparency. And so obviously they're taking shots at FTX here. Okay, that that's yeah. what they're doing. And can you blame them? Can you blame them for major institutions trying to adopt crypto and then seeing FTX, which was supposed to be a huge institution in itself, falling, crashing, burning, and then knocking other things down in its wake? I'm not surprised to see U.S. lawmakers this careful. If anything, this is what U.S. lawmakers against crypto have been waiting for in order to jump on this oh, yeah. big train of saying, no, crypto is not the way of the future. It's not the right step. It's not the next step. Do not take it. Yeah. I mean, they're only offering Bitcoin. I mean, if they were offering stuff like Dogecoin, I think they, they'd get some serious action. Oh, so true. <laughs> So <laughs> but, you know, just Bitcoin, I don't see it as too big of a problem. You know, if people want to buy, I mean, this is a big deal. Putting Bitcoin in your 401k, I mean, you, you, you buy like the S&P 500 and you buy the financial stocks in your, your 401k. You buy the stocks that are literally the least risky stocks. Um, maybe you throw some shots in there with with 10% of your, your 401k. But, you know, I, I think it's okay to put, you know, have 10% of your 401k as Bitcoin. That doesn't seem crazy to me. You know, that hopefully, hopefully, you know, Fidelity could come back and say, hey, we're putting a limit on how much percent of your 401k you can have in Bitcoin, right? That may be a happy medium. Um, maybe they already have that, but it makes sense that that they're coming at Fidelity. And, you know, in general, I, I think it's okay for now, right? Yeah, for sure. 
It's it's good for now. Good for now. But here's the real question. And this this is where we're ending off today. And we're, we're having, I just wanted to have a little back and forth on this. FTX this, FTX that. This is going to be a lasting problem for a while. I don't know how you resolve um, a major institution that borrowed so much money, that lost out on so much money, that then owes people. I don't know yeah. how long it's going to take for people to get paid out, for things to finally settle, and for people to be able to move on. It almost feels like I'm in I'm in the movie Wall-E, where you know Earth has been completely decimated by by all of this trash. So it feels like the crypto community has been decimated by FTX. And you're looking for that small green plant, that spark of hope that is somehow supposed to bring back what you had before, but maybe in a better and more everlasting way. And I mean, after this, you know, I feel like there's just going to be I feel like there's just going to be so much doubt. Yeah. For I, I'd say the biggest thing that can write the crypto market is a big exit to a traditional fiat company uh, for cash, right? If Binance goes out and gets sold to MasterCard for $4 billion, that will add a, that will that will erase this FTX fiasco, mm. right? We okay. need a, a exit from the crypto market that is legitimized with cash from a player that comes from the cash world and has a reputable reputation, right? Binance is the biggest crypto company. If they sell to MasterCard, that will write the crypto ship. But there's not much else that's going to undo this. If Binance keeps operating and all these crypto companies keep operating in this pseudo-realistic market with no regulation and, and unbelievable scrutiny, it's not, you know, there's no catalyst to to push crypto back into the green in terms of the public's eye. I think we need an exit from someone big. I agree. And the exit from someone big on top of the fact that, you know, to all I hear when you say that, Jacob, is accessibility. We've talked about this before as well. People needing to jump through, you know, a few different hoops in order to get their hands on some for form of cryptocurrency. It just doesn't feel right. And to many, probably feels downright illegal. Uh, it's not. But the thing is, is like having, you know, when I wanted to buy ETH last year, for example, I had to jump through so many different hoops in order to get said ETH at a good price, and then and then from there to to get it onto into one wallet to then transfer to another wallet. My goodness, why isn't there a way for me to just you know take my money, my cash, send it somewhere to some bigger company like like you said, have having an, a cash exit, and then being able to just go here here here's your ETH. You know there are costs associated, but uh, here you go. You know, I mean, that would be that'd be so huge, especially yeah. after ETH was what it was. It was optimized this year with the merge. And yeah. so and it's now a whole different process as it was before. Uh, you know, and I'm just I'm just giving some love to ETH right now. But this goes for other currencies as well. I think if you adopt major currencies uh, at the end of the day, you're still proportionalizing your your currency back to the U.S. dollar, which has always been my problem with with crypto. It's, you know, I think, you know, believe it or not, Elon Musk, I think he's got the right idea with Doge. And it's the idea that Doge is able to stand on itself. Dogecoin is the currency. Dogecoin is not the comparison to the U.S. dollar. It's this is how many Dogecoins it's worth. But mm -hmm. everyone is always going back to, well, you know, it's it's only worth that much Dogecoin but because it's only worth that much cash because our economy 
runs in cash. It doesn't run in crypto, right? Until we have an economy that is more accepting of cryptocurrencies being an acceptable form of payment, you're always going to ask yourself how many of this is going to, is going to be worth to the, to the U.S. dollar. I mean, it's just how it's just how currency works. Unless we unless we go to a bartering system, which is before capitalism and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, c- cryptocurrency really truly does not exist on its own with the existence of a mainline currency. And then even when you make crypto a currency, you then have other cryptos basing themselves off of that crypto, right? I mean, all other cryptos that got existed, all these all these shit coins for the longest mm-hmm. time are based off of Bitcoin. The price of Bitcoin, how good Bitcoin was doing. Why is it that the market will come down and up depending on how how up and down Bitcoin is, right? It's just it shows you how tied to the blockchain physically and literally these other coins are. Yeah, uh, that, that, yeah. that's a great point. I couldn't couldn't agree more and couldn't say it better. It's it's yeah, it just there there is more innovation and more technology to come for the future of crypto and electronic currency. Countries are trying to adopt digital dollars, digital currency. And as we mentioned before, the the newest UK prime minister is the current is well is was the past finance minister who was the one who got the whole push started for Britain and the and their treasury to have an an a um an online mint to to basically have this uh you know this online currency for for the British pound. So we'll see. Um, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a while before FTX stuff is resolved. Lots of lawsuits and cases flying all over the place because people see more money to grab at from the people and celebrities that that you know promoted FTX and were partnered up. And um, if you don't think those people lost money, they certainly did too. <laughs> you know, so it's it's actually hilarious to think that like you know people like Snoop Dogg, Tom Brady, Justin Bieber, and more. They're tied up in FTX because they all had holdings, major holdings in this company because it's like, hey, or this big company will get maybe give you some stake and in, in return will also give you some some good stuff and, uh, you know, you promote this, right? Yeah. So they, they, uh, they probably are. You know, it may not matter to them, but they certainly are. So, yeah. We'll see. Only time will tell. But uh, that's it. That's all we got time for today, my friends. Thank you so much for watching this episode of Esports Forever Newsday Tuesday. Thank you for Jacob for hopping on today. But myself and him, we got to hop off, go do some more stuff. Until next time, my friends, we'll talk to you later. We out.